Amen. Good morning, everyone. Hope you're doing well. So glad to see you this morning. So this morning, we're going to continue in our series in 1 John, What is Real? And today, we're going to talk about truth and does truth exist. So if you will, turn your Bibles, 1 John chapter 1, and we're going to begin in verse 5. So if you will, go ahead and begin turning there. And when you've found your place, you may stand. Amen. So beginning in verse 5, the Bible says this. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you, God is light and there is absolutely no darkness in him. If we say we have fellowship with him and yet we walk in darkness, we are lying and are not practicing the truth. If we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Let's pray. God, we are so thankful for your word this morning. And God, as we look and, and ask for you to speak to us, we, Lord, ask that you would pierce the darkness in our hearts, that you would pierce the darkness, God, in this auditorium and in our community and in our world. Lord, as we learn about you, the fact that truth does exist, Lord, we know that we are pushing against the grain of our society when we say that. But Lord, we know that as Christians that your word is the final authority in our lives. So today, God, as we embrace what you have for us in the written scriptures, we pray that you would change hearts and change lives. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So what is light? You know, as we were reading through some of these verses, we began to hear that God is light there in verse 5. So when I take this flashlight and I turn this flashlight on, you immediately see the light, right? So why is that? Why do you immediately see the light? Is it because the light instantaneously appears before you? Or is it because it's just that fast that it's able to travel from the end of this flashlight to your eyes? Well, science has done a lot of research on the idea of light. And the question re remains is what is light exactly, right? And that's one of those things that have, has baffled the scientific community for many years. Well, visible light, the light that we actually see, is actually referring to electromagnetic radiation that can be detected by the human eye. Now, there are many different forms of light, but only a small portion that we can actually see with our eyes. Did you know that light travels at 670,616,629 miles per hour? Or if you want to take that into seconds, it travels 186,282 miles per second. So now you know that when I turn this light on, the reason it's getting to your eyeballs so fast is because this light is traveling 186,000 miles per second. It's amazing. This means that if you were to travel at the speed of light, you could travel around the earth, get this, 7.5 times per second. That's how fast light tra travels. It takes light from the sun to travel to the earth in 8 minutes and 19 seconds. So you're talking about traveling millions and millions and millions of miles in 8 minutes 
and 19 seconds. And over the centuries, people have studied light. It has baffled them. There were many theories back centuries ago that said that light appears instantaneously from its source, that it doesn't travel, but it just appears. But then as science continued to get further, even Albert Einstein did much study in this field, they began to understand that, yes, light is limited. Light does travel at a particular rate. Now, there's been nothing discovered thus far that has anything that would say travels faster than light. So far, light is the fastest moving thing that humanity has discovered to this point. But it is limited. Now, when we read verse 5 of chapter 1 of 1 John, we see that God is also referred to as light. Remember verse 5? This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you, God is light and there is absolutely no darkness in him. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, beginning in verse 3, the Bible says this, But if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this age has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we are not proclaiming ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of God's glory in the face of Jesus Christ. Isn't it amazing that the light of God, it's not limited like the light that we see today. It's not limited like the light that the sun puts off. You know, the interesting thing about the light from the sun or light in general is that it can be slowed. That it can actually, if, if light is traveling from a distant star and it passes through a meteorite shower or a cluster of space junk, that it will actually slow it or it can be blocked. But did you know the light of God cannot be blocked ultimately? The light of God will always shine. The gospel will always prevail. And we have an enemy out there who is trying to, working toward veiling this earth and the people of this earth from the truth of the gospel. And what Satan is going to find is he is our great enemy, as he is the God of this world, as mentioned there in that verse I just read. He is going to find very quickly that he can try his best to slow it down. He can try his best to thwart the gospel. But in the end, the gospel will always prevail. Truth does exist, and truth is God's word. Truth is the gospel. In the book of John, chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, the Bible says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through Him, and apart from Him, not one thing was created that has been created. In Him was life, and that life was the light of men. That light shines in the darkness, and yet darkness did not overcome it. As we're going through the book of 1 John, the Apostle John is the author of this letter. And we see so many similarities from the first letter of John and the gospel of John. Beginning even in the first verse, we find similar terms like in the beginning, the one who was from the beginning, the word who was in the beginning. Here John is using these common terms because he is communicating the truth that Jesus Christ is God and that Jesus is life. And that that life is the light of the world. When I talk about the light of God, God is light. God is life. And without God, not religion, not church, not um, this list of rules and regulations, but without the person, Jesus Christ, you cannot have eternal life. 
He is life. And without him, you cannot live forever in heaven. John chapter 14, verse 6 says that Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes into the Father except through me. Today I'm telling you that unless you go through Jesus Christ, who is the light of men, you cannot have eternal life. You cannot gain eternal life through being good. You cannot gain eternal life from achieving some knowledge that's unknown. You cannot attain eternal life by being a Buddhist or a Hindu or a Muslim or a Mormon or a Jehovah's Witness. The only way that you can attain eternal life is by trusting in the Jesus Christ who is God, who is light, and who is the life. That is the only way. John chapter 8 verse 12 says this, Jesus spoke to them again and he said, I am the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. See, as John was writing this letter in 1 John, Gnosticism was prevailing in a lot of areas. And we talked about this a few weeks ago, but there are really two different forms of Gnosticism. And actually, Gnosticism means in the Greek, knowledge. And what Gnostics would say is, is that the only way to attain eternal life is you had to understand this secret knowledge that only a few people knew. They never really could tell you what it is. Even to this day, no one truly knows what that knowledge was. But they basically had this elite group of people who knew this secret knowledge that they weren't willing to tell anyone else. And as John is trying to combat this, the Gnostics also believe one sect of, uh, of Gnostics called Docetism. They believed that Jesus' body only appeared to be physical. They did not believe that it actually was. They believed that Jesus Christ who walked on the earth was a mere illusion. And the reason they believed that was because they believed that all material matter was evil. So in other words, if you could touch it, if it, if it had mass, then it was evil. So the human body was also evil. So they rejected the idea that Jesus would have a human body because that meant that Jesus was evil, right? Then there was another sect of Gnosticism called Serenthianism. And this sect of Gnosticism believed that the Spirit of Christ came upon Jesus at the baptism and then left right before the crucifixion. So what they wanted to do was they wanted to divide the physical body of Jesus from the Spirit of Christ and say that indeed they were two separate entities so they could justify Jesus having a physical body. So as John is fighting all of these things, John is declaring to them this Jesus who is God. This Jesus who indeed had a physical body, but also this Jesus who had no evil residing in him. That Jesus had a physical body, but Jesus knew no sin and knew no wickedness. As Bible-believing Christians, we believe that Jesus was indeed fully God, but also fully man. We believe that he lived for 33 years on this earth with no sin. That yes, Jesus was tempted. Yes, Jesus was tried. He went through difficult times, but he never, ever, ever sinned. So as John is writing this letter here to these first century Christians who were being plagued with this heresy and this false teaching of Gnosticism, he wanted to continue to reiterate that Jesus is holy and he is perfect and there is no darkness in him whatsoever. He had a physical body. That body was crucified on the cross. It rose from the dead victorious and glorious. And the same physical body that Jesus walked in on this earth is now sitting in heaven glorified 
on the throne, that he indeed has no darkness in him. So a lot of the Greeks back then, and the Greek society was really what began these Gnostic beliefs, and basically they would deny the reality of sin and evil. They would say, you know what, yeah, you're right. The body is inherently evil. It's no good. The spirit is what matters. So whatever I do in my body, it's okay. If I want to go and I want to just indulge in sin and wickedness, uh, drug use, partying, sexual immorality, whatever it is, that's okay. I can still be good and I can still be holy because my spirit is good and my body's not going to matter anyways. That is completely contradictory to the teaching of Scripture. When we understand the human body, the human body is not what is inherently evil. We talk about our flesh and our flesh being sinful. That is true, but it's not your skin and bones that's evil. What's evil is the sin nature that resides in your heart that causes you to lust and desire sin. Remember, your body was made by God. Adam and Eve ha had a physical body in the Garden of Eden before sin even entered in. And when we go to heaven one day, our physical body is going to go with us. We understand that at the great resurrection, your physical body will burst forth out of the grave. And that you will live in that body for all of eternity into heaven. So a physical body is not inherently evil. It's the sin nature that resides in you that causes your members to desire to sin. So there's a few things that we're going to talk about here. Because here in 1 John, beginning in verse 5, we're going to find different aspects of the truth. Now remember, the idea that I want you to leave here with is that truth does exist. Because in your university classes, and maybe even in your high school classroom, in your philosophy classes, um, whether you're going through some kind of special training at work, whatever it may be, you're going to continually be bombarded with this idea that truth doesn't exist. You're going to be bombarded with this idea that everyone has their own truth and everyone has a right to their own truth. But the Bible does not teach that. Actually, the Bible says there is only one way, there is only one truth, and that truth proceeds from the mouth of God who created all things. So we have to be a people that understand, yes, truth does exist, and it's not your truth that exists, and it's not the president's truth that exists, and it's not some philosopher's truth that exists, but it's the truth of the God in heaven who made all things. He's the only one qualified to tell truth. He's the only one qualified to denote truth and create truth and decide what truth is. We're only qualified to do this, listen and obey. Yes, Lord, what you say I will do, your truth is truth. So the first thing that I want us to see here is the creator of truth. Now that is the behind the whole idea of truth, and we see that in verse 5. This is the message we heard from him and declare to you, God is light. It doesn't say God possesses light, God teaches light, God has become light. No, God is light, and there is absolutely no darkness in him. So what does that mean, light there? Well, light equals two different things. It equals truth and it equals righteousness, okay? And here's the interesting thing about darkness. Darkness cannot exist on its own. Darkness is marked and defined by an absence of light. So darkness is actually defined by the absence of light and it cannot stand on its own. You cannot define darkness without including in the definition of darkness the word light. And light is so interesting in that even the smallest light can light up a whole room. Have you ever gone into maybe one of your bedrooms or your, your den and all the lights are out 
but you see like this blue glow in the room, or you can almost see even where you're walking. You're like, where is that light coming from? And then you walk up to your DVD player, your stereo, or whatever, and that little blue light that's on on your stereo is literally the only light in the whole room, but that little bitty light pierces the darkness in the rest of the room to where, no, it's not bright, but you can actually see some things, and you can actually walk in. It's amazing how small of a light can run darkness off, how it can penetrate darkness and bring about light. If you think about our candlelight services that we have every year, you know, we have these beautiful candlelight services, usually the Wednesday before Christmas, Christmas Eve, whatever it may be, and we turn out all the lights in the auditorium, and we begin to light these candles, and you're thinking, you know, this is a massive space, right? There's no way one candle is going to make a difference. So you light one candle, and then someone lights another one and another one, and before long, the entire room is bright because of these little bitty flickering lights that we've lit on these candles. See, that shows you the power of God. Now, remember, God is not this literal, visible light I'm talking about, although God created it. But when I'm talking about the light of who he is, the life that is in him, the life that we can have by trusting in Jesus, we're talking about a life that defeats death. Now, when you look at darkness, death is a dark, dark thing, right? I was actually talking to somebody about that earlier today. And death is something that is horrible in our lives. We all deal with death. We all know someone who's passed away. Many of us have lost people we were very close to who have gone on. And it's a reality in our lives. Death happens. One day we're going to die if the Lord tarries. And it's just a certain reality that we all have to face. And it's dark. But remember when we talked about on Easter Sunday, 1 Corinthians 15, about how death has lost its sting, how the grave has lost its victory? That's because the light of our God has completely destroyed the pain of death. That one day, yes, my body is going to die because it is cursed by sin, but the Bible promises me that it's going to rise from the dead. That death is not going to have the final victory over me. It's not going to have the final victory over you if you know Jesus Christ. Remember, he is the light. He is the light of the world, and there is absolutely no darkness in him. There's two different aspects, really, that we need to see about God's light, okay? God's light reveals truth, right? God's life reveals truth. It is truth. It's amazing how when you begin to read the Word of God, that the Word of God changes your life. You know, there's, there's two different things you can really do when you read God's Word, okay? You can either align your life to reflect God's Word, or you can rebel against God's Word. And we live in a society today that as we teach people the truth of who our God is, what he describes in the Bible as being a godly person, what he describes as being holy and righteous. We live in a world that is saying, I don't want God's truth. I don't want what's in the Bible. As someone said this morning in our Bible study class, people say that Bible is outdated. It's, no, it's not needed anymore. It was written in ancient times. The world has changed, right? Everybody wants to embrace what they want and what their truth is. You know what? The only proper response to the Word of God is for us to bow on our knees and repent of our sins and say, God, make me like you want me to be. And I promise you, if you'll do that, 
then you'll have joy and peace like you can't imagine. But until you bow in your heart to the authority of God's word, you are going to live a life of emptiness, you are going to live a life of strife, and you are going to live a life of difficulty. Now, I'm not saying if you're living by the word of God that everything's going to be peachy and roses, but I will say this, that you'll have the joy of the Lord in your soul. You'll have a joy that surpasses all your circumstances, that in the darkest moments of your life, even though things may be hard, you're going to have a residing joy in your heart because you have accepted the Word of God. When we accept the Word of God, remember John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Remember that as we read the Word of God, we are literally getting to know the Creator of the heavens better and better. The Bible teaches us who God is. The only way we know God is because we have His revelation in Scripture, because He has revealed Himself to us through Scripture. So if we deny this, then we are very well denying the God of the universe, the one who made each and every one of us. Whenever we deny his commands for our lives, we are saying, God, you don't know anything. I actually am a little bit smarter than you. Yeah, you flung the stars into heaven. Yes, you created the sun. Yes, you made a perfect planet where I can breathe and eat and live. But you know what, God? This thing about my personal lifestyle, you really don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, you know how to create all things. Yes, you know how to create millions of species of animal life. You know how to make the earth where it's just far enough from the sun that it doesn't burn up and not too far away that it doesn't freeze. But when it comes to my personal life, Lord, you just don't know what you're talking about. Isn't that kind of funny? You know, God, I want to hear from you when it's what I want to hear, but when I don't want to hear it, would you please be quiet, Lord? I don't want to hear it. He's the king. And let me tell you something. What he says goes. The Bible says there's going to come a day when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. You say, Ben, does that mean Adolf Hitler? Does that mean Joseph Stalin? Does that mean um, uh, Manson, Charles Manson and all these guys? Are they going to bow and confess Jesus Christ is Lord? Yes, they are, 100%. And you've got two choices. You can bow and confess Jesus is Lord in this life willingly, by trusting in Jesus as your Savior, or you can wait until the afterlife when you have no choice but standing in His holy perf perfection that you'll fall to your face and your knees begging for mercy, and that's when the only words you'll hear is, depart from me, I never knew you. Because you chose to rebel against the God of heaven, you chose to deny His truth, you chose to embrace your own truth, and now there is an eternity of damnation awaiting you. You say, Ben, is that real? Do you believe the Bible? Because that's what the Bible teaches, my friends. That is the Word of God. And I'm telling you today, the truth does exist, and the truth is God's truth, the Word of God. You know, another thing I love about light is that it causes transparency. The light of God will cause your life to be transparent. You know, one thing... That, I, that we all try to do is we try to hide sin, don't we? We try to hang on to it. We try to keep it quiet. We try to keep it secret. You know, as long as no one else knows about it, then I, I'm probably going to be okay. But then all of a sudden, God begins to reveal your sin in different ways. You, you start to realize, you know that sin that I thought I could keep secret? The light of God is showing it. He's bringing it to the surface. It might be your conscience. Maybe you're laying in bed one night and you can't go to sleep because you know you're living in sin and you know you need to make it right. It may be that your spouse begins to, to realize something's not right with you. 
and God begins to reveal to your spouse that you're living in sin, or, or maybe it's that you just don't act like you used to act. You don't have the joy that you used to have. And all these things begin to be made transparent, ultimately bringing forth and revealing your sin in a way that you have to deal with it. Let me tell you something. You might be holding on to sin today thinking that you can get by, but there is going to come a day of a reckoning when you're going to have to deal with it. It's going to be made known. You may say, well, Ben, am I going to go to hell if I know Jesus? No, that's not what I'm saying. But I will say this. If you know Jesus is your Savior and you're holding on to sin, you're his. He bought you with the blood of the Lamb, and he will reveal your sin, and it will rise to the surface. You're not fooling God. He'll make it known. Listen, God is the creator of truth. And if anybody has the right to tell me right from wrong, it is is God. You know, that's the whole problem with atheism. You know, atheism, someone who's an atheist, they'll say, oh yeah, there's truths and there's rights and wrongs and there's morality. Problem is, they can't explain their morality because their morality is based upon their own understanding of morality. So then you have to ask an atheist, well, whose morality is right? Is it your morality that's right that everyone should live by? Is it your neighbor's morality that's right? Is it Adolf Hitler's morality that's right? Whose morality is right? Because we're all human beings here. We're on a level playing field. And an atheist will not be able to answer that, by the way. They live as though truths exist, but yet they deny the truth giver. You cannot say that truth exists. You cannot say that there is right and wrong if there is not an ultimate morality giver or creator of truth. See, only Christians can explain right from wrong. Only Christians have a foundation to stand on when it comes to morality. Because we can say someone much bigger than us, someone who exists outside of this universe, who is self-existent, pre-existent, from the very beginning of time, he has decided truth. He's outside of time. He's outside of space. And he doesn't need anything to survive. And he doesn't need anything to be God. He's the one who said right from wrong. And guess what? As Christians, we believe his truth is truth. We're the only ones that can explain truth. Amen? So we understand that there is a creator of truth. And there is no darkness in him. But also we're going to see here 1 John, beginning in verse 6, what it means to walk in the truth. And when I say walk, I mean live in the truth. We know who the truth giver is. Now, what does that mean for us in our everyday life? Beginning in verse 6, the Bible says this, if we say we have fellowship with him and yet we walk in darkness, we are lying and are not practicing the truth. If we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. You know, there was a time when I was young that I got in trouble. Y'all don't believe that, do you? You don't believe that. I didn't think so. And I had done some things that I shouldn't do, and my dad grounded me. And I was in high school. I think I was probably a sophomore in high school. One thing I love to do, and I'm sure you guys in high school and middle school love this as well, is I love to go to Friday night football games, and I love to go watch Inca play. Well, that Friday night, we were playing Irwin at Irwin, and I could not even fathom the idea that I was not going to be able to go to that game. But Dad told me, son, you're grounded. And if you break the rules of being grounded, I'm going to keep adding more weeks onto it. So I was kind of uh, laid with this decision that I had to make, right? Now, I knew my dad was going to the game because my dad was as faithful going to the games as I was. So I was thinking, well, he'll probably sit on the Inca side. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to go to the game and I'm going to sit on the Irwin side. 
and I'm not going to try to hang out with my friends. I'm just going to go over there and hang out, buy a Coke, popcorn, whatever, and watch the game, right? So I get to Irwin Stadium, and I walk in. I walk up to the uh, visitor side, and I'm sitting there enjoying the game, thinking, man, I got this thing figured out, man. I'm getting to watch the game. And I'm just kind of looking around the crowd, and I look about 10 rows diagonally to my left, and my dad is looking at me just like this. And I was like, oh, no. Man, I'm in trouble. And, yeah, I got grounded longer. So, so you, can ima- you can imagine. My dad was very merciful in a lot of ways, even when I did not deserve it, obviously. But I got caught, right? I was not walking in the truth. I was disobeying what I knew was right, what I knew I should do. And I said, you know what? I'm going to go ahead and do this anyways. I'm going to kind of pull the wool over dad's eyes. And, you know, he'll never see me at the game and everything will be just fine. But I was rejecting the truth. I was living in darkness. And the reason I was grounded to begin with was because I was living an ungodly lifestyle in high school. And and God was really trying to get a hold of me and get my attention. And I kept rejecting him. And I was ultimately living in darkness. And you know, as I said that story about my interaction with my dad and what I had done, you know, we do that to God all the time. You know, God has got a particular parameter that he wants us to live within. And a lot of people say, well, you know, God's no fun. He's trying to take all my fun away. Let me tell you what, there's nothing more fun than living for the creator of the universe. But when he wants you to walk within a certain parameter, he doesn't want you to get outside that. It's not because he's trying to take your fun away. It's because he doesn't want you to be destroyed. He doesn't want you to live in destruction. He doesn't want you to live in hurt and pain. Because a lot of the scars that you're going to get, even when you're young, or even when you're older, you're going to carry with you for the rest of your life. Yes, God forgives you of your sin. But here's the thing. God does not take away the, quint- the uh, consequences of that sin. You have to live with the consequences. It's a nature of sin, and it's an essential doctrine in Scripture that we understand. Yes, the forgiveness of God is there. But when you sin, and when you participate in things that are going to hurt you and destroy you, you're going to carry it with you for the rest of your life. In the form of scars. And it's going to be difficult and it's going to hurt and it's going to come back to your memory. You know, that's the thing about the human mind. You can't forget, right? You can try your very best to forget what's happened in your life, but a co- one of those coincidence or one of those consequences of sin is that that stays with you. You have to understand that. It costs you something. Sin is not free. Okay, the Bible even says it is pleasurable for a season. Even God's word admits, yes, there is a season of time where your sin is going to be fun. And it's going to be pleasurable. And you're going to have a big time. But there's going to come a day when the boom is lowered and it's no longer fun. It gets old real fast. I was there. I thought I was living the big time, hanging out, doing whatever I wanted to do. And there came a day when I looked back at my life and I said, God, what have I done? What have I done to myself? You know, yeah, the party was fun, but you had to wake up the next morning. Hey, the partying was fun, but you had to deal with everything you did while you were partying. You had to carry it with you. And it cost you something. And when the Lord Jesus Christ, in the book of 1 John, he says, If we have fellowship with him, and yet we walk in darkness, we are lying and are not practicing the truth. Are you lying to yourself today? Are you walking in darkness but telling everybody else you're living in the light? Hey, are, are, are you living in the party scene and thinking that you're going to be able to get by with it? Just as long as you come to church on Sunday, everything's going to be fine. The Bible says you're lying. You're not only lying to God, you're not only lying to your family, but you're lying to yourself. You're not going to come out ahead. It ain't going to work out. 
And hey, listen to me. Now, if you want to keep living that way, you go right ahead. It's your choice, okay? God gives you a free will. He's not got you as a robot. He's going to let you make your own decisions. But you mark my words, you listen to the word of God, it's going to cost you something. And if I didn't love you and I didn't care about you, then I wouldn't say that today. But you have got to pay attention to the word of God. His word is truth. James chapter 1, verse 22 through 25 says this, But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Because if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like looking at his own face in a mirror. For he looks at himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of person he was. But the one who looks intently into the perfect law of freedom and perseveres in it, right here, the perfect law of freedom, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer who works, this person will be blessed in what he does. Are you walking in the truth today, or are you lying to yourself? Are you saying that you're a Christian, but in reality you've never been changed by the miraculous work of Jesus Christ on the cross? Maybe you say, Ben, I've been in church my whole life. I've heard the Jesus thing. Sure, I believe in God. I'm good. But yet your life has never changed. Hey, let me tell you something. Salvation, biblical salvation, is not just a, a secret prayer you pray. It's not a, a mystical, magical spell that you cast on yourself. But it's when you kneel in your heart understanding your sinful state and you say, God, I don't want my sin. I want you be the Lord of my life and change me. That's salvation. And that's when, yeah, you're not going to be perfect when you walk from there, but your life will be changed from there on out. You're going to have a way about you where you're going to want to grow closer to the Lord. You're going to have a way about you where you are convicted of your sin. You're going to have a way about you that you don't want with things that you used to do. It's a life change. The Bible teaches us that we are new creatures in Christ. The old things have passed away, and behold, all things are made new. Now, do you believe the Bible this morning? Because if you believe the Bible this morning, that's what it says. If you believe the Bible this morning, it is truth, and you have to to apply it to your life. The next thing I want us to look at, not only walking in the truth, which means living according to what God wants for your life, but also speaking the truth. Not only walking in the truth, but speaking the truth. And we find that in verses 8 through 10. Now, I'm giving you guys a lot of stories, a lot of good material today about my childhood, so don't take advantage of it, okay? But here's another story of me getting in trouble. Go figure. It was a story of me lying to my dad. Now, I had a friend over one night, and we had concocted this plan. We were going to hide our bicycles in the woods. This was before I could drive. We are going to hide our bicycles in the woods, and then after everyone else was asleep, we were going to sneak out of the house, jump on these bicycles, and ride a couple of miles down the road to one of our friend's houses. All right? Great plan. Flawless plan. There's no way this can go wrong, right? Wrong. We were so tired, we ended up forgetting to wake up and fell asleep, okay? So we never escaped out of the house. So you thought, well, that's good, Ben. Well, here's the thing. The bikes were still up in the woods. So my dad comes up to me the next day, and he says, son, he said, I found a, a couple of bicycles of ours up in the woods, just wondering how they got there. And I said, well, dad, um, my buddy and I were going to ride bikes early this morning, and we got up, we got the bikes out, we put them in the woods, and after we eat breakfast, we were going to go back up there and ride them. And he said, well, son, he said, that's kind of funny, uh, considering there's dew on the seats. <laughs> Evidently, they've been there all night. So busted, right? I wasn't speaking the truth. And guess what? The light revealed my big, fat lie. I didn't even, get in I didn't even do what I was planning on doing, but because I lied, 
I got in trouble and I deserved every bit of it. That's called living in deception. So, you know, when you're walking in darkness and you're not walking in the light, you're living in darkness, right? But then when you begin to kind of conduct your life by saying lies. Anyone ever uh, known of just a compulsive liar? Yeah, and I mean, come on, man. They've always got something bigger and better. They've always done something bigger and better. They've, and you know what? I don't have the patience for it, right? You know, you just don't want to hear that mess because you can see a lie. It's, it's deception. But the problem with people who do that, and we all lie to ourselves and to others, believe it or not. But when we do that, we begin to believe our lies. And our lies become part of us. And we literally end up in a lifestyle of lying or a lifestyle of deception. So when we think about that, you go back to the Garden of Eden. You think about Adam and Eve, right? So Adam and Eve were in this perfect paradise, right? They had everything at their fingertips. They had the, the beautiful um, trees of fruit. They had all the vegetables. They had the unadulterated, perfect, romantic relationship with each other. They had perfect, unhindered access to God. They had everything imaginable that we all would love to have and desire. Has, it can't touch a sandals vacation, amen? They had it all. But you know what? They wanted that one apple, that one tree that they were told not to eat from. And as they approached and they got near that tree, that serpent, Satan, began to say things to them. You know, the interesting thing about Satan is, is he's a great deceiver and he'll always tell a lie. Okay, he'll give you a little bit of truth, but ultimately it's a big fat lie. And he tells it in such a way that it sounds good, makes sense. Yeah, maybe I should do that. And to think that the entire fall of mankind hinged on a lie. It hinged on someone deceiving someone else. And as Satan deceived Adam and Eve, they took a bite of the apple. They realized they were naked and they became ashamed. They entered into darkness and into sin. And then God comes and walks through the garden. And God says, where are you? Right? He knew where they were, but he wanted to give them a chance to confess. And they said, we're over here. We were, we were scared and we were ashamed because we were naked. Well, who told you that you were naked? Well, we ate of the tree, or Adam says, the woman that you gave me gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it and I sinned. And then Eve said, listen, it was the serpent. He beguiled me and he told me that I could, that I could have all these things if I ate. Immediately, they're lying. They're lying to God. They're deceiving themselves. They're living in this uh, circle of lies where they're trying to, 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 to shake off the uh, consequences of sin. And they're saying, you know what? It wasn't really my fault, God. I mean, it, it was just uh, something that I believed and I fell into it. And it was their fault. It's their fault. Isn't that kind of funny how we live lives like that? How we never want to own up to our own sin. We never want to admit that we've messed up. We never want to admit that we need God's forgiveness. We never want to admit that we need God's mercy. It's such an easy thing to place blame on someone else. And that is a direct reflection of living in deception and darkness. Quit blaming everyone else for your sin. Because listen to this. One day you're going to stand before God. Just you and God. You can say, so-and-so made me do it. God's going to say, I'm not talking about so-and-so. They're going to have their judgment. I'm talking about you. I'm talking about what you've done. I'm talking about the sin that's on your hands. Why should I let you in? Well, you know, God, I tried to be good. I tried to do my very best. God's going to say, you know what? You're still a sinner. 
And your sin's never been atoned for. Your sin has never been washed away. Your goodness is not going to save you. Depart from me. I never knew you. Matthew chapter 7, beginning in verse 15, the Bible says this. Be on your guard against false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravaging wolves. You'll recognize them by their fruit. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? In the same way, every good tree produces good fruit, but a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit, neither can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that doesn't produce good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire, so you'll recognize them by their fruit. You say you're a Christian. Are you lying? You say, well, Ben, how do I know if I'm lying? Are you producing fruit? Are you, do, you, do you feel conviction of your sin? Do you have a desire to see people come to Christ? Do you have a desire to serve the Lord? Do you have a desire to, to, to talk to God and to get into the Word? Or, or, you know, and I'm not saying that you're always going to feel like doing that, but I am saying that there needs to be an underlying desire in your life where you are conscious that God is in control of your life, where you are conscious that you should be living for Him and living unto Him. Maybe... You've always thought you're a Christian, but yet you're not producing the fruit. You know what the Bible says about that? You're not saved. You're not saved. And sometimes it takes us realizing our sinful state and realizing, you know what? I never have been changed. I've just been going through the motions all these years. You know, I've seen people in their 70s and 80s get saved. They lived their whole life thinking they were saved, and yet they said, you know what? I was never producing any fruit. And the Bible spoke to them in that. Sometimes we do live in a lie. We say it so much that we begin to believe it, and it becomes a part of us. Remember what the Bible said there in verse 8? If we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But listen, if we confess our sins, yes, God, I'm a sinner. Yes, Lord, I need your forgiveness. I believe that you died and rose again. Will you save me? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. You know, Jesus talked about uh, this, uh, this parable of this story, and he was telling some folks about it. And it was about this Pharisee. And this Pharisee, when it would come time to pray, he would get out in the streets and he'd say, Oh, Lord, I'm so glad I'm not like all these other sinners. I'm so glad that I live this righteous life and that, I'm, that I've achieved all these great things. Oh, God, thank you that I'm not like all of these other people. And, and it goes along the lines of something like God did not regard that man's prayer. It sickened God what that man had said. But then it says this in Luke chapter 18, beginning in verse 13. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even raise his eyes to heaven, but kept striking his chest and saying, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you, Jesus said, this one went down to his house justified rather than the other, because everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Amen. Anytime you claim you have no sin, you know what you're saying? God, you're a liar. Romans chapter 3, verse 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. God's already settled this. We're all sinners. And if you're out there today thinking that you're good enough, thinking that you can make it, thinking that you've not done anything just really too bad, yeah, I have no sin. I'm good. 
I'm not, the, I'm not as bad as my neighbor. I'm not as bad as my coworker. I'm not as bad as this person. Remember, guys, truth exists, and the Bible says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Today, God may very well be speaking to your heart. He may be piercing your heart with his truth, convicting you of your sin, and begging you to trust him as your Savior. I promise you that's the only way you'll ever be saved. That's the only way that you can know that you know that you know that when you die, Heaven will be your home. Let's bow our heads this morning in prayer.